Well, church, good morning again. It's good to see you. Thanks for gathering here. Thanks for bringing the church into this uh, space. And if you're somebody that's gathered with us for Crosspoint at home, thanks for bringing the church into your living room or your back porch, wherever you happen to be. So glad to be able to, to gather with you all. Uh, my name is Jamie, and it's my joy to be one of the pastors here uh, at Crosspoint. And it is also my joy and privilege that this morning, not only do I get to preach God's word as we have been journeying through the gospel of John, that we get to come to the conclusion of what has been almost a year-long journey that we began early in 2021, and we've been making our way slowly and methodically through this series called Come and See, that there's this invitation throughout the book of John, this sort of this biography of the life of Jesus, that we would hear the invitation that we would respond to the call, whether you're somebody that's still trying to figure out what you believe, if you're somebody that's been a Christian for a long time, and anywhere in between, to hear again and again the words of Christ that invite us in, come, regardless of what you're carrying, regardless of your past, your brokenness. In fact, what we'll see in this concluding chapter that we've seen all along is God works through the broken, the misfits, the mess-ups. And if that's you, and it is, just in case you were wondering, right, welcome. And it's me. It's all of us. We all need the grace of God. And so excited to be able to dive into this. One thing before uh, we get going, all right, uh, a week, or sorry, the Wednesday after Thanksgiving, so a little more than a week from now, we are going to gather here. We're going to have a, a town hall meeting. So if you're part of Crosspoint, listen, this is open to, if you're a partner or a member here, but as well, if you're like, hey, this is my first time here and I'd like to learn more about this church, you are more than welcome. So it's going to be 6.30 here in the sanctuary. We also realize midweek you may not be able to, to get here, and so we all plan to live stream that as well. But we want to take some time as 2021 comes to, gets near closing, right, to look back and then look ahead and share some things with you, just ways to engage uh, as a church, update you on some things, just kind of how the year ha has gone. And so we want to be able to speak to that. So I would encourage you, if this is your church home, or if you're trying to figure out if it is, I think it's a great thing uh, to come to. So again, that is Wednesday night, December the 1st, 6.30. It'll run for about an hour. Uh, there are some limited childcare spots available, so you can go to cplife.church, and you can get signed up for that. So this morning, uh, we're in John chapter 21, so I want to encourage you, if you brought a Bible, please turn there. As always, you can take out your phone and go to cplife.church, and you will see something there that you can click that says Sermon Notes. And you can follow along with the text that is there. Anything that I put up on the slides this morning will be there as well. Now, as you're turning there, a couple of things. One is uh, we were in John chapter 20, the resurrection account last week. So we had Easter in November, which was awesome. Got to celebrate at first baptisms here at the new church uh, facility. So that was incredible. So just a great day of celebration. And we did the bulk of chapter 20, but not all of chapter 20. And now we're in chapter 21. Are you thinking, maybe you're thinking like, what happened to that? Did Jamie skip that? Are they just trying to wrap this up before Advent? Here, here's the reality, all right? Uh, that back part of chapter 20, we preached actually as the introduction and as well as our Easter sermon this year. We just kind of took it out, out of order. So you can go back and listen to that, but we are going into John chapter 21. It's 25 verses this morning. So let me just read this. This is another resurrection account. It's entitled The Third Appearance to the disciples. And so hear this word and be encouraged because what it's gonna help us answer is this as we go through this this morning. How should we think about the church? What does it mean to be the church? What does it look like individually, collectively? Like how are we to actually engage? And this passage sets this up beautifully. So I'm excited to dive in. John chapter 21. After this, Jesus revealed himself again to his disciples by the Sea of Tiberias. And he revealed himself in this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, who's called the twin, Nathaniel from Cana of Galilee, Zebedee's sons, and two other of his disciples were together. 
I'm going fishing, Simon Peter said to them. We're coming with you, they told him. And they went out and they got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. And when daybreak came, Jesus stood on the shore. But the disciples did not know it was Jesus. Friends, Jesus called to them, you don't have any fish, do you? No, they answered. Well, cast the net on the right side of the boat, he told them, and you'll find some. And so they did. And they were unable to haul it in because of the large number of fish. The disciple, the one Jesus loved, said to Peter, it is the Lord. And when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he tied his outer clothing around him, for he had taken it off, and he plunged into the sea. And since they were not far from land, about 100 yards away, the other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish. And when they got out on land, they saw a charcoal fire there with fish lying on it and bread. Bring some of the fish you've just caught, Jesus told them. And so Simon Peter climbed up, hauled the net ashore full of large fish, 153 of them. And even though there were so many, the net was not torn. Verse 12, come and have breakfast, Jesus told them. None of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? Because they knew it was the Lord. And Jesus came and he took the bread and he gave it to them. And he did the same with the fish. This was now the third time that Jesus appeared to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. Verse 15, when they had eaten breakfast, Jesus asked Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said to him, you know that I love you. Feed my lambs, he told him. And a second time he asked him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord, he said to him, you know that I love you. Well, shepherd my sheep, he told him. And he asked him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was grieved that he asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know everything and you know that I love you. Well, feed my sheep, Jesus said. And truly I tell you, when you were younger, you would tie your belt and walk wherever you wanted. But when you grow old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will tie you and carry you where you don't want to go. He said this to indicate by what kind of death Peter would glorify God. And after saying this, he told him, follow me. Verse 20, so Peter turned around and he saw the disciple Jesus loved following them, the one who had leaned back against Jesus at the supper and asked, Lord, who is the one that's going to betray you? And when Peter saw him, he said to Jesus, well, Lord, what about him? And he's referring to John here. If I want him to remain until I come, Jesus answered, what is that to you? As for you, follow me. So this rumor spread to the brothers and sisters that this disciple would not die. Yet Jesus did not tell him that he would not die, but rather, if I want him to remain until I come, what is that to you? This is the disciple who testifies to these things and who wrote them down, and we know that his testimony is true. And there are also many other things that Jesus did, which if every one of them were written down, I suppose not even the world itself could contain the books that would be written. This is God's word. And that is the conclusion to the book of John. And so as I said, as we get into this, be asking this question. There's a lot going on in here, but I think a way to summarize or to help us or like be oriented to this, how should we think about the church? And my guess is, all right, if you've been part of the church for more than like three or four minutes, you've got some 
confusion about the church, some pain from the church, all right? Not only churches you've been part of before, but churches, the church here, all right? If you're here this morning, like, is this the perfect church? No, all right? Just getting that out in the outset, right? The reality is we are all broken and sinful. There's ways that we have sinned against the church, been sinned you know, against by, by the church. I mean, all this mess. And yet, Jesus says, all right, that the gates of hell shall not prevail against her, that he's going to build his church. And he's been doing this, friends, for over 2,000 years. And what he is doing here through his servant John is composing for us how are we to actually live? What does it look like to be the church? And so there's a few things that we see. And so in the first 14 verses, what I wanna take some time to look at is just be reminded and this will set up some of the, the purpose for us, but just be reminded in this. As we think through who are we as the church, what are we called to, let's remember, and this is what we see, the care that Christ provides. And there's a lot of different ways we could talk about this. I think there's a few things just in these opening verses that remind us and showcase for us the nature and the character of our God. And when we begin to understand that, the, the way that it shapes our actions, the invite that Jesus gives, the significance of him even saying, just come and have breakfast. Because you think about it for these disciples for a moment, right? These are expert fishermen. Um, they have been toiling all night. At this point, they've got to be frustrated. They're hangry at this point. I think it's fair to say, right, the dawn is breaking, and they haven't caught a thing. Now, maybe they're experts. Maybe they're just terrible fishermen. I actually don't know, right? But they've been out there all night. They don't catch anything. And then there's this man from the shoreline that they don't actually quite recognize, right? They don't yet know who it is. The dawn, you know, the dawn, it's like sunrise that's happening, all right? And this man is like, hey, did you catch anything? All right, and they say no. And it's like, well, who's the dude Monday morning quarterbacking this whole thing, right? And he's just like, well, did you try the other side? Go ahead and do that. And they do, and they catch 153 fish. I mean, it's just this miraculous account. And if you want to deep dive, you can go search about the 153. There's all sorts of people that have speculated over, over the years. And guess what the grand conclusion is after studying this all week? We don't know. All right. Um, I don't know exactly what, if the 153 stands for anything in particular. Some have speculated. There was a historian by the name of Jerome that's like, there were 153 species of fish. And so this represents that God includes all of the different types of people, tribe, tongue, nation. That's cool. I don't know if that's true or not, right? Um, but that sounds cool. Some that have speculated, well, if you add the numbers, uh, you know, each letter stands for a certain number and get, it comes out to this kind of some of God's numbers. Okay, well, that might be true. One person speculated, hey, it stands for 100 Gentiles, 50 Jews, and three, meaning the Trinity. I was like, oh, okay. I don't know where you learned to do math, but anyway, that might work. Regardless, though, it's a significant amount of fish. I mean, this is... this. You'd be excited about this. Like, you'd be telling your friends this, right? I mean, when you tell those stories about, like, I caught this fish one time. Now you got 153 of them. Like, this is a big deal. And we'll look at why it's such a big deal, because it's beyond just the catch of fish. And there's this reminder in this that God is over and over and over and over again inviting us. Will you see Jesus? Will you run to Jesus where you recognize that on your own, all of your labors, all of your plans, right? If we're doing it on our own, we're doing it on our own strength, right? It is not going to amount to anything. They toiled all night. They were expert fishermen and they caught nothing. It's this reminder that regardless of where you pick up the Bible, 
You can start in Genesis, you can jump to the end in Revelation, you can be in the Psalms, you can be in Leviticus or Numbers for crying out loud, and it all speaks of Jesus. It all points to Jesus. It all points to the man who's on the shore. And so N.T. Wright in his commentary on John, this theologian said this, stand in your mind's eye with the disciples in the boat. Like picture yourself there for a moment. What projects have you been laboring over and getting nowhere? Watch for the dawn. Watch for the figure on the shore. Listen for his voice and then do whatever he tells you. That that's our call that we see in this to follow Jesus the one who calls out, the one who invites us, the one who knows best how we are to orient our lives. When we labor in our own strength, with our own planning, right, it's in vain. When we're committed to what the Lord has for us, it may not turn out exactly how we want, but his purposes are being accomplished. Are you looking to Jesus? And so just a few things that we see about the care of Jesus in this, right? that the disciples are now back, they're fishing. Like Peter's like, hey, anyone wanna go fishing? All right, and there's this group of seven disciples that end up out on this boat. Some have critiqued them saying, well, they just saw the risen Lord, they had work to do, why are they out there fishing? Maybe they're being disobedient. And people have rightly pointed out, yeah, but even disciples, even missionaries, even church planters or whatever, right, they need to eat. And so they're just out there doing what they know to do to make a living. Like this would have been, you know, how they provided for themselves. And so one of the things, you know, when Jesus says, cast the net on the right side of the boat, and this comes in, just be reminded, his care, like he is providing for them, all right? There's more than going, more going on than just the finances, but it's not less than that, that he cares deeply for them. And he's providing for them in this moment. But more than that, did you notice Peter's response? It says Peter, all right, when he realizes after John says it's the Lord, all right, it says this, when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he tied his outer clothing around him, for he had taken it off and plunged into the sea. This, if you know anything about Peter, fits the characteristic, right? John maybe is a bit more cerebral. John's like, oh, it's the Lord. Yep, I've put that together. I've connected the dots. And Peter's like, woohoo, we're going swimming, right? Like he just jumps in, all right? Now, also, people have pointed out, like, typically, if you're going swimming, you might be wearing less clothes, but he puts his clothes all on for some reason, right? Then he jumps in the water. It's 100 yards. Wish I knew his time, but we don't, all right? And so he, he swims toward the shore because he wants to be with Jesus. Now, that in itself is this beautiful picture, but especially, as you know, this comes on the heels of Peter denying Jesus, abandoning Jesus, one who had been told by Jesus all right, been renamed by Jesus, you're Peter. And on this rock, like he's gonna use Peter in significant ways to build his church, to carry on the work of the gospel. But Peter had messed up. If I'm Peter, to be perfectly honest, if somebody's like, there's the Lord, and I knew what I had just done, if I'm in Peter's shoes, I'd be like, can I get below the deck? Did he see me? Maybe we can, you know, set the sails to go another way or row away from the shore because I'm like, I'm too embarrassed. That would be still my mindset. I think in the back of my mind, I would still, even though Jesus had appeared to me already and he had welcomed me and he said peace, I think there's this part that would just be like, I don't know. But Peter, there's just this beautiful freedom in the Lord. What do you do with your shame? What do you do with your brokenness? What do you do with the sins that you've committed and things that have been committed against you? Like, do you hide, turn the boat the other way, or do you plunge in like Peter, just like, I've got to be with Jesus? 
There's a freedom there. Like, I want that in my own life. Collectively, I want that for this local body, this church, that there would be a freedom. That when we mess up, the first thing that would come to mind is like, we gotta run to be with Jesus and be with Jesus' people, not to run away and to hide. And so there's this beautiful freedom. And then I love just this picture. There's Jesus. Think about this. God incarnate cooks breakfast. When they got out on land, they saw a charcoal fire there with fish lying on it and bread. And he eventually says, come and have breakfast, Jesus told them. What a picture of just fellowship, of communion, a reminder that we need to spend time in the presence of God. So often there's a mindset, what are we gonna do for the Lord when we first need to remember like who we are in the Lord, we need to be with the Lord, and then the doing, like the things that God might have for us, they're not unimportant, but they flow out of us being in the Lord's presence. Jesus is inviting them, because it's not just Peter. It's a group of people that have messed up, that have abandoned him, that have misunderstood, that still aren't quite sure that they get it, like that we, you know, as we read this text. And Jesus is like, I've prepared a meal for you. And to have a meal in that time and that place was very significant. And a meal is always significant, but back then it was also it was a sign of acceptance. It's like these people, this is my family, these are my brothers. Like I'm with them, I identify myself with them. This is why Jesus kept getting in trouble as he did his ministry, because they're like, well, he's dining with, with tax collectors and the lepers and the, the prostitutes, and right, like this is all the people that he's hanging out with, the demon possessed. He's having a meal with them. And it's this way of saying Jesus desires this fellowship. And he cooks them breakfast. Beautiful. And so be reminded of the care of Jesus, the one who desired to be in relationship with these men on the boat and invites them. He's inviting you. That's why he has ordained for you to be here this morning. He wants to commune with you. But also know this. This wasn't a Sunday that this took place. Right, Them on the boat, it's the work week, they're out and about, and it's just this reminder that there's something significant and beautiful and weighty about when the church gathers on a Sunday to come in and to, to be edified and encouraged and strengthened and nurtured, but it's to be sent back out. And in that as well, we enjoy the presence of God. We need to commune with God, that Jesus meets them in the midst of a frustrating work day. Right? Like, let's not skip over that. Like, this was a bad day. Like, oh, I got a case of the Mondays. Like, for real. Like, I didn't catch anything, like, all night, right? Like, they would have been so, so frustrated. And just this reminder Jesus is there with them. Now, as we think about this, all right, it builds, though, because there's this story. Think about it. John ends this account with saying, You can't even write enough books to account for all that Jesus did. Just so many stories. And yet, we get this limited number. And so why in the world, if he's going to finish this, like why does he finish with fishing? Like why does that happen? What is being communicated here? Well, it's a reminder again and again as we think about how are we to think about the church? What's the calling of the church? The purpose of the church? Do you recall how Jesus, throughout the Gospels, in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, 
where he found a number of them. Like there's these bookends that are happening. He found a number of them while they were fishing and he called them to drop their nets. Even in Luke 5, we read of a similar account where they were out all night. They didn't catch anything. Apparently this is a pattern for them, right? And Jesus says, throw the the nets down and they do and they get this huge load of fish that starts to even tear the nets. And at that point, Jesus says, come follow me. I'm gonna make you like fishers of people. Like you're gonna fish for people now. Or in the book of Mark, as he passed alongside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, Simon's brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. Follow me, Jesus told them, and I will make you fish for people. That part of the calling of the church is to see people brought from one domain to another, to see people brought from darkness into light, to see people move from death to life. And it's not just... It is that Jesus does that work. Like he is the active agent in that, but he has somehow, some way invited us to participate. He has chosen, he has ordained for us to be means by which he might use to bring about his purposes for his glory. This is why what we looked at last week, Jesus shows up and he says in John 20, 21, Jesus said to them, peace be with you. He's earned the peace, he's achieved the peace. And as the father has sent me, I also send you. That part of who we are as the church people that fish for other people, meaning we want to see people meet Jesus. There's an evangelistic aspect to the church that people need to hear the gospel. And so that's part of our identity as the church. Who are you praying for? Who are you investing in their lives? Who, who knows you well enough to even know what you believe and to begin building relationships and to have just that sort of involvement When people ask for, explain the hope that you have in the midst of difficulty, you can speak to that, as Peter would write in his letter in 1 Peter. And so that is part of the identity of the church. Now, as this moves on, so the fishing, the the reason John finishes with this is because he's reminding us, as he's reminding the disciples, really what Jesus is doing is saying, don't forget your identity. Don't forget that you are a sent people. And so he begins to call, and we look specifically now at this call that he puts on Peter in Peter's life. And as we think about this, as we look more closely at these verses, let me ask you this question. Be thinking about this. What kind of people does God use? I've already talked about this, but be reminded, Peter is not the A-team, the varsity, the star player. Like, that's just not who he is. He is messed up. All right? He has denied Jesus three times. He's had Jesus have to tell him, get behind me, Satan, when Peter opens his mouth, which you know you should just shut up at that point, right? Like, that's just a bad thing to have happened. Apparently, he's not a great fisherman. He didn't catch anything. Apparently, he's not good with a sword. He tried to chop a guy's head off and only got the ear, right? Like, all these things that have taken place. What kind of people does God use? There's this call. And so Jesus sees Peter. And what's also fascinating is eventually it tells us they begin to kind of walk and there's this interaction they have and he's like, hey, what about John? But right now, there's also this confrontation in love that Jesus has and the rest of the guys are there. Like imagine for Peter. But God has purposes for him. He's recommissioning him. And so he says to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And it's interesting that even though Jesus had renamed him Peter, 
this rock, in the three times where he asked, do you love me, do you love me, do you love me, he says, Simon, son of John. And I think it's intentional. I think it's a way that God is showcasing for us. Like, Peter, I think you've forgotten your name. I want to restore you to your true identity. I'm not through with you yet. And we need to be encouraged in that. If God can use the Peters of this world, like he can use you and me, he is looking for people that own their brokenness and their failure. And when he says, do you love me more than these? At one level, it could be, hey, Peter, do you love me more than these fish that you just count, caught, right? Do you love me more than your career, your vocation? Like that would be a valid thing to consider. Or maybe he's saying, do you love me more than just these, these friendships here amongst the other disciples? Well, sure. But I also think, what I likely think is happening here is if you remember, Peter had such bravado and arrogance about him that he, when he heard that other people would fail and desert Jesus, he's like, even if they all do, Lord, I'm sticking with you. This is why Matthew records in Matthew 26, verse 33, Peter tells him, even if everyone else falls away because of you, I will never fall away. So I think at one level, Jesus is saying, hey, do you, really, do you really think you're better at loving me than all of these brothers here? Do you really think you've got this locked down? Do you really think you're the expert? Have you forgotten your story? And it's Jesus' way not to shame him, not to humiliate him, but to get him like in tune with his brokenness and his need. And what Jesus is doing to Peter is what Jesus continues to do through the work of the Spirit to you and to me, not to shame us but so that we would be reminded. So Pastor Eric talked about in the confession. Why do we do a confession? Is it just so we're like, let's start our service off and all of us like grovel in our sin? No, it's the more we understand our brokenness, the more we celebrate the reality of what Jesus has done. That we'd look to Jesus and like Peter, we would plunge ourselves into the water and swim toward him because that's where life is found. That's what's taking place here. And so Jesus lovingly is confronting him and saying, hey, Peter, listen, man, you don't love me better than these. You, you thought you had it all figured out, and you failed. And so he says, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? And it's this intentional way to hearken back to the three times that Peter denied Jesus. What's also a significant detail in the Gospel of John. If you were to go back to John chapter 18, verses 17 to 18, you would read about the setting where it took place where Peter denied Jesus. And there's this detail that John gives, and these things are never by accident. He says they're around this charcoal fire warming themselves when Peter is asked about his association with Jesus and he denies him. Now think about this for a moment. Have you ever you ever been just like out and like there's a smell, like you smell something and it takes you back to some place and there's this memory, right? Like we have tons of memories associated with smell. And it's this way here when Jesus is on the shore and Peter shows up, what does it tell us? That there's this charcoal fire that's going. It's this reminder again and again and again. Listen, Peter, like you did mess up. But maybe what Jesus is looking for is a group of people that own that, that embrace that. Maybe a way to think about it is Jesus uses people who can actually smell the charcoal, meaning like we understand, we are dialed in enough to know. I'm not delusional. I know my brokenness. I know my need. And I know that like this just brings me to the feet of Jesus. 
Again, N.T. Wright, I thought, thought this was helpful. He says it this way. The three questions then correspond to Peter's three denials. Three for completeness, yes, but three also for reminder. The smell of the charcoal fire lingers. Peter's night of agony and Jesus' own night of agony returns. And this is so beautiful. But because of the latter, the former can be dealt with. Jesus is the Passover lamb who takes away the sin of the world. Peter's sin included your sin and my sin. So it reminds us of a night of agony for Peter and ultimately for Jesus. And because of Jesus' agony on the cross, he has secured forgiveness for you and for me and our denials of Jesus, that the reality is we too put Jesus on the cross and he now is inviting us into fellowship. He is restoring, as he did to Peter, he's restoring us and saying, the people I use are the broken, are the misfits, are the fools of this world. He didn't pick you to be on his team because you're awesome and that you're dominant in all areas of life. He actually picked you to showcase his strength, his power, his grace, because we're weak. That's the storyline of everybody who's a Christian. And the more we understand that, the more appreciative we'll be of God's grace. And then Jesus says to him, feed my lambs and shepherd my sheep and feed my sheep. And so there's this reminder here that at the one hand, the fishing reminds us of what? The evangelistic call of the church to see more people brought from death to life to be reached. And yet... The calling as the church, as we think about who are we as the church, is never just to see people get saved, maybe pray a prayer or walk an aisle and just be like, cool, we're on to the next person. But the language here is what? Feed, give them the gospel. Feed upon the word of God. Shepherd, lead, and guide. Now, Jesus is the good shepherd. He's the ultimate shepherd. But the calling for us as Christians is to help do that. And when we think about our calling as the church, yes, we want to see people saved, but also we want to see people continually discipled and grow and to be nurtured by the word. And here's the good news. God has made it very simple. He's like, hey, because I think he knows we're not super bright and we're not going to always figure this out. He's like, I will make it super simple for you. The thing that the people need that don't know Jesus is the gospel, about the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus and what he's accomplished. And guess what the person who's been walking with Jesus for a very long time needs? The gospel, the life, death, the resurrection of Jesus, right? He simplifies, he's like, hey, you may not know somebody's heart, so guess what? Your call, share the gospel. Talk to people about Jesus. Share what Jesus is doing in your life and let God sort out all of the things. It's very, very simple. And so the calling of the church, yes, is evangelistic, but sometimes there's this false dichotomy. Are we into evangelism or discipleship? Yes. Like, they're, they're two sides of the same coin, right? It's just like, listen, man, like, we're going to share the gospel, and if somebody doesn't know Jesus, hopefully they, be, they come to know him. And if they already know him, they're going to grow in their relationship. And so Jesus says that, feed my lambs. Give them the word. Shepherd. Lead them. Guide them. To what? To the good shepherd that is Jesus. And the pressure is off. Not only is it simple, Remember this, Jesus says, my sheep. He doesn't say, Peter, you go out and feed your sheep, and John's got his sheep, and so on and so forth. It's not go and feed your church. No, it's Jesus's church, right? Jesus plants every church. Jesus leads every church. Like, that's the calling. Jesus shuts down churches that are unfaithful to him. Jesus is the lead. Jesus is the good shepherd. And Jesus saying, listen, you get to feed people. Now in this, as we look at the last few verses, he does tell Peter there is a cost. 
And I read it just a moment ago. And it tells us, you know, he says to Peter, listen, man, like you one day, you're used to doing what you want to do. You make your own plans, you dress yourself, you go where you want to go. But one day, somebody's going to come and they're going to take you. They're going to dictate where you go. They're going to dress you. Really what he's speaking is they're going to undress you. And they're going to spread your arms out. As history would tell us and what Jesus is communicating here. Peter, you will die the same way that your Savior Jesus died. You will be crucified. And we know that this happened. History would tell us as well that Peter was somebody that requested because he didn't feel worthy enough to die in the same manner of Jesus asked to be crucified upside down. Is that true? Is it not? I'm not sure. We'll ask Peter one day. But Jesus does say to him, he said this to indicate by what kind of death Peter would glorify God. And then after saying this, he told him, follow me. How do we think about the church? What's our calling? Evangelism, ongoing discipleship, more of the gospel, resting in the finished work of Jesus, finding this freedom like we need to be the feet of Jesus, enjoying fellowship with him, that everything flows out of that. And there's this call, Jesus says, follow me. And he makes it very clear, because Peter, I, and I appreciate his honesty, he's like, well, okay, all right, so that's for me. Like, what about John? Apparently they've got some sort of com competitive thing going, right? Like, I'm not quite sure that dynamic, because if you remember last week, it's like, you know, they want it to be clear, like John wants to be clear that he outran Peter to the tomb, right? And it's like, okay, he's faster, whatever, you know? And now Peter's like, okay, well, if this is happening to me, what about him? And Jesus basically is like, mind your own business. If I want him to live, I'm gonna let him live. If I want him to die, he's gonna die. Like, he's like, that's not for you to figure out. And there's this freedom that's in here that Jesus is saying, listen, why don't you worry about your own story? You've got a particular path that I have for you, and I'm asking you, will you follow me? That's why Jesus would say to his disciples over and over again, take up your cross and follow me. Years ago, I read a book by D.A. Carson talking about the work of the cross called Scandalous. I want to read this um, this little section here. And in it, he just wants to make sure we don't misrepresent or misunderstand that phrase, take up your cross, because it almost can start to become, let's colloquial, sort of like part of the vernacular of people, particularly Christians, and we might say, oh, this is my cross to bear. But to, when Jesus said this, like how loaded this term was, and as I read this, hear this, he's not trying to minimize real pain and real suffering that many of you here in this room are going through, and the reality is all of us will go through if, we have, if we're not in that season. There is real pain and hardship and suffering, but he's trying to remind us, listen, you can either have your hope in the things of this world, which is the writer of Ecclesiastes would remind us, it's a vapor, it's a mist, it's vanity, it's fleeting, it's gone just like that. Or you could hope in the things of Christ and of his kingdom. And so he says this, this expression to take up one's cross, to follow Jesus, is not an idiom by which to refer to some trivial annoyance, an ingrown toenail perhaps, or a toothache, or an awkward in-law. Welcome to Thanksgiving, right? But we all have our crosses to bear. He said, no, like you can't say that. No, in the first century, that sort of interpretation would have been impossible. In the first century, it was as culturally unthinkable to make jokes about crucifixion as it would be today to make jokes about Auschwitz. Like, wait, it's just unheard of. No, we don't do that. 
And he continues and he says this, so to take up your cross does not mean to move forward with courage despite the fact that you lost your job or your spouse. It means you are under sentence of death You are taking up the horizontal cross member on your way to the place of crucifixion. You have abandoned all hope of life in this world. And then, Jesus says, and only then are we ready to follow him. Now listen, it is not that he doesn't care about the pain of this world. He empathizes with us. He sympathizes. All right, all of that is true. But there's this reminder, even in the most difficult of circumstances, There's something that is being showcased with clarity. Is your hope in this world or is in Jesus' kingdom? And when Jesus says to Peter, follow me, this is what he's talking about. And for Peter, specifically, it meant he was actually going to die by crucifixion. Likely that won't be your story or my story. But the calling is, where is our hope? Is it in this world or is it in the life that Jesus has for us being part of his kingdom? And that life has been ushered in by the resurrection, like we're in that now, but yet we also know there's pain and there's hardship that is still going on. And yet the question becomes, will you follow the way of Jesus? What the world needs to see is men, women, and children, followers of Christ that live this way of the cross not because we have anything to earn, but because we know it's been all earned and achieved for us, that we have the righteousness of Christ, that we would continually be so dialed in to what Christ has done, like our brokenness and then what Christ did to meet our needs, to satisfy the wrath of God, to know personally and intimately what Christ has done. The more that grips our hearts, the more we would actually live as sent people. And so the calling, as Paul would say, as he writes to a church, In Philippi, he would say this in Philippians chapter two, have this mindset, remember what Christ Jesus has done. Adopt the same attitude as that of Christ Jesus, who existing in the form of God did not consider equality with God as something to be exploited, or some translations would say to be grasped, like to held on to. Instead, he emptied himself by assuming the form of a servant, taking on the likeness of humanity, and when he had come as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death even to death on a cross. How do we think about the church? What's the calling of the church? It's to take up our cross and to follow after Jesus, not because there's anything to earn. We can't do that. That would be ridiculous. But this demonstration of, Lord, you were poured out. Jesus, you were poured out all the way to the cross. You emptied yourself. You gave up everything. What are you calling me to relinquish? What are you calling me to have with an open hand? What does it look like to live under the lordship of Christ? And in that place, there's joy to be found. This is not to rob you and me of life. It's so that we might actually experience it. Because this downward trajectory of Jesus, if you keep reading in Philippians chapter two, it says these words we just read, and then it says, and then God exalted him and raised him up. This is what has happened in the resurrection and the ascension. And if we're to follow Jesus, if we're people that are following him, and we too take up our cross, guess what? Because Jesus was exalted, he's to the place of ultimate exaltation, all right? The story, though, for all of us who are in Christ means, yes, we too take up our cross, and there's this downward descent, but it leads to exaltation. It leads to this inheritance that First Peter 1 would say that God himself right now is guarding for us. 
Friends, that's what awaits us. And that's what we get to invite other people into. And so close with this. Verses 24 to 25. Just this reminder, all right? These things are true. So there's so many more things that I could write. If anything, how do we think about the church? It's just this very simple calling again. We are called to be the church. Yes, we might say things like, I go to church, or I attend church, or I do this. Sure, we can use that language, but deep down, we need to know, like, we are called to be the church, a people sent on mission for the glory of God and for our joy and for the good of those who don't yet know him so that they might be brought from one domain into another. And so the language here is, yeah, we could try and, John's like, I can't even write enough books to contain and as Paul would remind a church in Corinth in many ways, like we are these living letters, like we are those that are sent out to bear witness, to bear testimony to what Christ has done. So I'll close with this. To wrap up this series on John and this account of Peter particularly, think about his letter and what he wrote in 1 Peter. And I don't believe that, like I don't think Peter ever got over what took place on that shore. Like years later, right? Jesus would have ascended. He, he's gone. The Holy Spirit's been sent. And you start to see the way that Peter is used by God. He still messes up. Go read the book of Galatians. Like, it's in there. But he's this person that I don't think he ever got over the, the grace and the mercy that he was shown. And years later, under threat, Roman rule, those that are persecuting the church, he's writing to a, a battered and bruised and persecuted this group of followers of Jesus, and he's like, friends, here's what I want you to remember. This is a man who ultimately knows where his story is heading, that he's going to die. He's going to die by crucifixion. And yet, I think what was so present in his mind is not what that was going to be, but that there on the shoreline, that Jesus cooked him breakfast and invited him in and restored him to this ministry that he called him to, reminded him of his identity. And so he would write many years later to a group. He would say this, 1 Peter 2, 9 to 10. My friends, you are a chosen race. Don't forget this. You're a royal priesthood. You have access to God. You're a holy nation, a people for his own possession that you are possessed by, like by God himself, like he takes pride in you. So that, he says, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you. Think about this fishing, this domain, right? Who called you from one domain to another. He called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, you were cut off, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. I have to imagine that Peter had his encounter with Jesus on the beach, perhaps as he's writing this. Just remember, I've received mercy I was brought from darkness into this marvelous light. I get the privilege of proclaiming the excellencies of King Jesus. I don't think he ever got over the grace and the mercy that was bestowed upon him. And may we, as we think about what is the calling of the church, be a people that are so caught up in just a vision of what Christ has done for us. He brought us from darkness into light. He has rescued us and he has given us the privilege, the joy of participation. We get to proclaim his excellencies. So the book of John may be over for our study purposes right now, but the reality is it's this ongoing call that we would be a people, I would say it this way, that we would continue to be people that are quick to repent, that we would remember and that we would receive this mercy and this grace of God, and we would have a resolve 
to be the church that Christ is calling us to be for his glory and for our joy. So let me pray for us. Father in heaven, thank you for your kindness and your grace and your mercy. Thank you for the invitation to be a sent people. And thank you that you work through Peter. Thank you that you work through us. People that are weak, broken, frail, failing. And you demonstrate your strength, your power, your mercy and grace. We thank you for the privilege of being part of your family, that we belong to you, this holy nation. God, thank you for the privilege of our new identity. May we see more people be brought from the domain of darkness into your marvelous light. Help us to faithfully proclaim the gospel. God, would you continue, Jesus, would you continue to build your church as you faithfully have? We thank you for the promises that you're going to do just that, and thank you for the privilege that we have to be part of it. So God, I pray now, as we continue in our service, and as we live out this mission that you've called us to, that you would get your glory and that we as your people would experience a deep and abiding joy. And we pray these things in Christ's name, amen.